Welcome to your Mindful Hour podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Marks. Today, I have the honor of chatting with Michelle Kinder, the outgoing executive director of Momentous Institute. She is stepping down later this year after a 20-year history with the organization. Michelle is continuing her commitment to social change through speaking, writing, and consulting with leaders and organizations interested in socially conscious leadership. You'll see how Michelle lives a technicolor life. She is someone who always strives for excellence in all she does and finds that meditation gives her the very best results. She shares about non-striving, dropping in, and serving others. If you're a parent or a teacher, there are also a lot of great insights into the benefits of meditation for kids. I hope you all enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Michelle. I am so, so grateful and excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite topics to be self-reflective about, and I'm excited to get to talk to you. Mm, Thank you so much. So this is kind of fun. My first encounter with you, you, which you don't know this, but I thought it would be fun to to share with you was, uh, this was actually shortly before I met you in person and it was uh, several years ago. And it was when I attended the last part of your amazing annual conference, the Changing the Odds conference. And you were wrapping it up for all of the attendees, which gosh, easily there were a couple thousand people there. And I was immediately struck by your presence on stage. Yeah, you were very, absolutely, it's so true. You were very warm, very poised and articulate. And I just felt like there appeared to be a very profound presence within you, which made a real impact when you spoke. Oh gosh, that's such a nice thing to say. I I credit the audience of that conference for a lot of that. Um, the way that that large group manages to hold space and and allow kind of a giant room full of people to feel so intimate, uh, it it makes it feel even as the the kind of MC person, it makes it feel. Um, like a chat. Mm. So I'm so grateful to that group that comes together. That's that's a really powerful. Uh, that's a very powerful message that that you are alluding to. And I want to dig deeper into what you do at, at Momentous and the conference and all of that. But before we jump into that, I would love for you to simply tell us about you. Who is Michelle? I would love to. Um, So I've actually now worked at Momentous 20 years, and I started there as a part-time family therapist, part-time school counselor. So my my background is mental health. 
And um, prior to that, I uh, did grad school at UT Austin and undergrad at Baylor and studied theater, which actually ended up being my way of sort of staying at Baylor. Um, Baylor's a wonderful university, but it was not a perfect fit for me. And so I needed to either transfer or find the fringe. Um, and for for me, that was the theater department. And that worked beautifully. And I kind of found my tribe there and found my, you know, incredible joy in that creative expression. And it turned out to be the most extraordinary prep for becoming a therapist and then an executive director because in 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 learning theater you spend an outrageous number of hours learning to like truly listen mm. and be in the moment and and actually let something authentic come from you from being truly present and truly in the moment instead of you know acting um, and so it was like just totally unplanned on my part, but a, a, a wonderful step from studying theater to then studying uh, therapy and then moving into more administrative roles. And prior to that, if we're kind of going backwards, uh, prior to that, I, I was actually born in Guatemala and I grew up there and um, my parents were missionaries down there. They spent more than 30 years down there. Half of us were born there. We were all raised there. And um, that was an incredible way to start my life. Um, wow. The, the, I think that too was kind of prep for everything that came after in terms of having, you know, fr- literally from birth earth having a foot in both cultures or two cultures and seeing how people who have different backgrounds, different circumstances, different beliefs attend to things differently. And so it's in my bone marrow to appreciate difference and diversity. And, um, and I've, I've never been sort of seduced by this idea that there's a truth with a capital T because I had that experience growing up that there, there never was, there were always at least two ways of doing things everywhere I looked. So I just, Oh, I feel so grateful to my parents for, for giving me that early start. Um, and also for giving me, uh, kind of a view of, of a life of service, um, Mm -hmm. that, that stuck. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what an interesting background that you that you have. I I would never have known that about you. Thank you for sharing that. You bet. Absolutely. You bet. Yeah. So so let's let's jump ahead a little bit in your your history, your timeline. I I really am very intrigued by theater and how you're you're right. There is so much about being present in that world and how it does truly translate into mindfulness, being present in the moment. Was there any formal meditation or mindfulness training that you also did at any point in your life? Mm. Yeah, I, I got interested in meditation and mindfulness when I was uh, 
hoping to get pregnant with our first child who's now turned 17 next month. Mm. Um, and, and I, I was just thinking about life in a really different way. And so began to study yoga and mindfulness and meditation back then, but not in any way, um, seriously. Uh, it was kind of more just dipping in and out for years. And then when my second daughter was born, she's, she's 12. And when she was born, uh, during those, those few months that I was home with her, I, I began to study yoga with the intention of doing yoga teacher, or I was doing yoga teacher training and I was a therapist. That was my role. So I was working a couple days a week at Momentus as a therapist and, um, and then working on this yoga teacher training and just as happy as I could be hanging out with a, an awesome baby and a five-year-old and um, the rest of the time. And, and, and uh, I guess five or six months into that, the, the organization approached me to come back in full time and lead the therapeutic services team. And so I, I kind of shelved the yoga training at that point, but the meditation and the yoga have continued to be a big presence in my life since then. Mm-hmm. So uh, it makes me curious to know when you were the, that initial first part when you were pregnant and um, with your first child, and that was when it really the idea of including meditation and in, came to you. Can you tell me more about? Was there just a more of a, an awareness in general that you wanted to cultivate with with your your new baby, or tell me tell us more about what that process was like in the initial stages? Yeah, I think it started the the door that sort of opened for me first was yoga, mm-hmm. and um, and from there I started learning more about mindfulness and meditation, um, and reading a lot of John Kabat-Zinn and and others and, um, and, and it was for me just, uh, um, sort of standing in awe of this responsibility of bringing a human into the world and making space for them to become who they're going to become and not wanting to miss it. Um, I feel like when my daughter was born, I began to have daily experiences of time standing still. Um, And I think it was just that relationship with her sort of pulled me into, just naturally pulled me into mindfulness in a way that I'd never experienced before. And so that that, of course, fueled my curiosity and my awareness that there's what happens to us and then there's how we relate to it and Mm -hmm. that that I, I have some power and control in developing practices that will help me drop in and not miss the good stuff. Well, that's really beautiful, Michelle. No, thank you for sharing that. So in terms of your, your present today life, Michelle Kinder today, do you have a specific routine, morning routine? Uh, do you, do you practice your meditation regularly or on the fly or how does it show up for you in your, your daily life? Yeah. Um, 
so over 700 days ago, I, I began a streak of doing meditation every day and Woo-hoo. it's been interesting because I, yeah, and it's, it's been absolutely transformative. Like I can see so many threads uh, of other ways my life has shifted because of that practice. Mm. Um, but I also had an interesting wake up call because when I hit the, the 500th day, um, I decided I would write an article about how that impacted me. And so I sat down to write it and, and I got so convicted by the fact that I had sort of dipped into this streak mentality, but that my practice hadn't deepened. Oh, I was just doing it, you know, but I wasn't allowing my practice to deepen. Um, and so that was a huge wake up call. Needless to say, I did not submit that article. Um, I I instead (laughs) promptly enrolled myself in, um, transcendental meditation course, which was, I guess, about a hundred and a little less than 200 days ago. Um, and, uh, in an effort to, to learn how to deepen my practice. And so I've been doing TM now for almost 200 days and, and that also has just taken everything to a whole new level for me. So now I do two 20-minute meditations a day. Mm-hmm. I know it's really hard to put these things in words, especially the deepening of someone's meditation practice. So this is somewhat of a challenging question. Can you describe how it's deepened in the last 200 days? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I track on two things, like what is happening sort of when I'm meditating, and then I track much more closely on what's happening in my life um, as a result of a deepening meditation. But but when I'm meditating, what I've noticed is um, a, a greater capacity to sort of drop in and um, be meditating instead of doing meditation. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm wired to do. I am. I. I want to. Ex, you know. I'm wired to just kind of like want to excel at anything I touch or try. And so, uh, I over the last 200 days, or, or really even before I transitioned into TM, the the shifting from striving being how I would sort of level up or achieve or, you know, grow to the dropping of that and the just connecting with the, the sort of, you know, I don't want to go too woo woo, but sort of the, the different power sources that are there for us that, we can plug into and that things can flow through us um, mm-hmm. because we cleared the vessel, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's the space I'm in now is just spending a whole lot less time striving for things and a whole lot more time clearing the vessel, moving toward alignment relentlessly and unapologetically and um, just letting things flow through me. Beautiful. Very well said. How does that then translate into the quote 
the doing, because as you mentioned, if you are someone, and I'm sure many people can relate to it, this drive to, to excel and to, as you said, you're hardwired to, to do that. How then does it translate into the actual doing? Do you see different results as a result of letting go of the striving? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, what used to be very effortful and got a fine result now feels effortless and gets uh, sometimes, and I say this humbly because I sincerely do not think this is about me, but the dropping in things, it just, it's a, it's a state of flow. It feels more effortless. It feels less personal. Um, it feels sort of driven by a higher self instead of an e- more of an ego-based kind of drive. And, and the result is far better in the achievement realm than what used to come out when I was driven more from striving. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been a, like I haven't had to trade in mm-hmm. this dropping in for success or achievement. It's actually made space for just a completely different way of leveling up. Yes. So, so well said. Do you, can you think of an example of something that you kind of had to do uh, maybe a double take yourself thinking, wow, this result that I have is so different than perhaps something I would have seen from myself a year ago. Does any example come to mind where due to this more letting go and dropping in state that, you know, something kind of just effortlessly flowed through you and the result was just impactful enough for you to really notice it as a profound difference. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many examples, but um, one that comes right to mind is is when I'm speaking. I speak a lot and um, it used to be that I would just spend an enormous amount of time almost like um, obsessively micro uh, editing myself and my presentation and my this and my that. And I still care a lot about that sort of high excellence and whatever I put out. But if I have 30 minutes before presentation five years ago, I would have run through it again. If I have 30 minutes before presentation now, I meditate and I, and you know, I pray that whatever will, um, whatever will come through me will serve whoever's in the room in a way that I, I can't predict or control. And, um, and so it's just a releasing and a stepping in like humbly and presently into the space instead of, instead of me sort of feeling like I'm offering something that's performance based or what have you. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. In fact, it's funny. Um, this is probably a nice uh, segue into your role at Momentus. And, and I definitely want to talk about that and, and what you yeah. all do over there. But as a, as a segue, I learned about that very thing because of one of your conferences. I think it was the one two years ago where you had Brene Brown 
Mm, as mm-hmm. at, gosh, that was great. That was like mm-hmm. the rock stars of uh, of this you know this world. I, I don't even know it. You had Richie Richie Davidson. You had yeah. so great. So thank you for putting on such high quality uh, conferences. Oh. But she- thank you. I'll pass that to the team. They they do an unbelievable job of curating and and pulling that together. Yeah, it, it, it's phenomenal. So Brene Brown spoke about this a couple years ago at your conference, and it was it was a real aha moment for me because she said up there that she never prepares for, I mean, obviously she's extremely prepared, but she doesn't do what you were saying. She doesn't do that sort of memorize her presentation and, 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 you know, craft all her words beforehand. She says she has her slides and she connects to the audience. And so Mm -hmm. every single time she presents, even though it's ostensibly the same material, it's the same slide deck the way it comes out each time is different based on who's in the room. And her main goal is just to relate to the people in the room and trust that process. And I thought, yes, 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 mm. yes. That is the way to do it. And uh, I've been it. striving to, to do that myself. But um, yeah, so that's, that's really cool. I love, I love that example. How about we now shift gears to talk about Momentous Institute what it is, what you do there, and the connection there to mindfulness and meditation. Oh, perfect. Yes. So we're a nonprofit here in Dallas, uh, almost 100 years old, if you can believe it, Melissa. I don't know if you knew that, but we started in 1920. Gosh. And we were founded and continue to be powered by the Salesmanship Club of Dallas, which is a group of 650 business leaders, and they're very involved in every move we make. And um, and our work has always been about children. And we're also the beneficiary of the AT&T Byron Nelson. Some people might might click into that even more than, than our name. Um, mm-hmm. Present day, we work with over 5,000 people that are coming to us for some kind of therapeutic service. So family therapy, individual therapy, some assessments or uh, parent education, that type of work. And then uh, we have a lab school where we have 248 amazing kids and their families who work with us to identify what are the things that are going to propel children forward long-term, especially children who may have additional stressors related to family income and and the like. So um, we use the work that we're doing in therapy and at our school to fuel our research and training efforts, which of course includes the Changing the Odds Conference. And then last year we worked with a total of over 9,000 professionals in some sort of social emotional health training, you mm. know, from a light touch, you know, came to the conference to came and lived with us for a year to intern and, and everything in between. And then our research is really a huge part of our recipe. So we do research on everything we do and we kind of look to the team to 
be unbelievably loyal to whoever's sitting in front of them and giving them the very best care or education. But we also challenge them to always be thinking about kids that we'll never meet and how are we going to take what we're learning together with the families that we interact with and and change some narratives around what's possible around um, structural inequities, around uh, just partnering with instead of doing for, all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. So Momentous, 100 years old almost. So happy early birthday, Momentous Institute. <laughs> <laughs> so when did the mindfulness piece come into the school environment? Yeah, um, we have Heather Bryant to thank for that, who's our Director of Innovation and Impact. And at the time, she was um, the assistant principal at the school. And we, we've we always had uh, the practice of looking inward for what are we learning that we can share out, but also looking outward. What are the trends? What's happening? What do we need to be bringing into our environment and testing and trying. And so mindfulness was a theme in some therapist's office long before that, that, but now it permeates our therapy work and it permeates our school work. And that came about, I would say, eight or nine years ago, we started really implementing mindfulness in a you know, in in ways that you can measure, like, for example, our students at least three times a day will stop what they're doing, do some breathing, just kind of settle back into their bodies and, and get ready to learn. Mm. And we, we connect that for them very directly to that they're regulating their nervous system. And that that allows them to kind of be in charge of when their amygdala is flaring and when their prefrontal cortex is fully online and um, just really use mindfulness to teach them about the basic biology of their emotions and give them a greater sense of control and managing them. That's great. Um, how, how did that actually kick off in terms of teaching did, did you have to start with the teachers first to get folks on board? Was there any resistance to this? Did this kind of come in piecemeal over the years? Or how, how did the whole program get get started, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was back far enough where the word mindfulness, you had to be thoughtful about where you used it and where you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we initially started, we, we, you know, called it breathing and we were careful when we said mindfulness and we started with a, a student facing effort, but very quickly realized that like everything, you can only give what you have. And it was very important for our teachers to also have their own practice. And um, so we worked closely with Susan Kaiser Greenland, who wrote The Mindful Child and Mindful Games. And she really helped us support the teachers in, in both coming along and also um, developing their own practice and nurturing their own practice. And she was also amazing. She is amazing at 
making sure that the ways we introduce mindfulness to children are age appropriate mm-hmm. and um, and easily easily kind of just woven into the school day. Yeah, that's really interesting. Can you describe that a little bit more? How does meditation look for a kid? Yeah. So we do chimes and whole, you know, kind of focusing on the sound and and doing some breath work. But for little kids, that can be just literally three breaths and then you're back at it. Um, Susan talks about a short time many times with kids. So we'll, you know, anytime there's a transition, uh, you can see the kids using breath to kind of assist in that transition. Um, Sometimes the teachers will uh, like blow bubbles and encourage them to focus their attention on the bubble and on their desire to pop it, but not pop it. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, a million different ways. I I really can't recommend Susan Kaiser Greenland's work highly enough. And she, her mindful games book also comes in like a deck. So parents or teachers or anyone who works with kids or has kids could just buy the deck and do those fun games with their kids. And to the kids, it's just a game. It's fun. It's non-threatening. And it doesn't it doesn't ask of them something that feels foreign. Mm-hmm. You talked about earlier the research that you all are so connected to and uh, make a point of. What have you found since these eight or nine years of implementing mindfulness in the in the school? What what have you seen as some of the benefits there for the kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our director of research, Karen Theory, can obviously talk circles around me, but I can hit a couple high points. Um, one of the things that we've, we were able to contribute to the literature is how mindfulness in the pre-K environment makes a difference in kids' ability to self-regulate, um, so manage their own emotions, reactions, behaviors, uh, not because someone's watching them, but because their nervous system is regulated. So our research uh, showed that there was a direct correlation there. Um, We were also able to show the connection between empathy and optimism and higher test scores on standardized tests. Boom. Which, Look at that. Which is <laughs> yes. really cool. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, unfortunately, to get the ears of some people in education, they need to see that or it just feels like fluff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, we're, you know, we're looking for ways to kind of make sure we're able to show, hey, this is not an either or. You don't focus on social emotional health or academics you actually do both simultaneously to set kids up for the greatest long-term outcome. Mm, so cool. So cool. What, uh, can you think of anything that maybe you have learned from one of the kids, one of the students as it relates to mindfulness? Has there been a, a moment, an example or something one has said to you that you thought, Oh my gosh, never thought of that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there's literally 
if ever there was a job where you had an oxygen tank right down the hall at all times, it's momentous because mm-hmm. the kids are unbelievable. Just literally walking around near them, you just get so fueled. And they say the cutest things. Um, the story that's coming to mind for me is about uh, uh, two brothers who went to our school and um, one of the brothers told us the story that he was feeling really anxious and upset at home and they didn't have a chime. And so he created a homemade chime with the, the metal part of his bed and a spoon mm-hmm. so that he could do breathing work at, at home. And I just loved that. I loved that he had identified that as a strategy and knew how to pull it in, even even though he had to really create something that wasn't easily accessible. So it just, it reminded me that, that this gift of mindfulness and meditation and breath work is, you know, the most accessible, most researched, free. Um, so it's, it, I think this work has a place in, equi- in the equity space um, because it's a way that it can serve everybody regardless of access or opportunity. Mm, beautiful. Wow. So would there be any words of advice for maybe an educator or someone that's connected in the school setting that wants to think about this, or perhaps they're a parent and they want to move in this direction for their family um, with the, I know you mentioned Susan Kaiser Greenberg is a great resource, but um, just someone who's been through been through it in the trenches of actually implementing it. What what would you say to anyone curious to to begin a journey like this? Mm. Um, my number one advice for anyone dealing with anything is to regulate their own nervous system. I'm just such a huge believer in the fact that that's where it starts and that we're all contagious. And so in that moment when you're either just proactively wanting to invite this into your home or school, that's where it starts. But even in a moment where you're trying to deal with a a child who's dysregulated and having a really hard time, the number one way to impact the kids or the adults around you is to regulate your own nervous system. Um, so, you know, that would be my first one. The, the other would be um, to just look for ways to sort of authentically integrate these ideas um, and, and starting small is, is great and, um, that it doesn't have to be some big, huge initiative to just have the goal of, uh, making space for kids or adults to drop into presence. Beautiful. And just to further clarify by regulating your, um, your your immune system and your um, nervous system rather the easiest way would you say would be to connect to the breath exactly I think that's our most researched most accessible way to just 
drop back in and mm-hmm. bring our prefrontal cortex online and calm our amygdala. And um, there's there are other ways though, like it, you know, sometimes there's there are times that doing breathing work is anxiety provoking for people. So um, if that's one of those moments, just moving your body. Um, focusing your attention, uh, shifting your focus from the problem to your preferred outcome. You know, there's, there are lots of different ways that you can kind of be in charge of noticing when you're dysregulated and then do whatever practice you've identified that helps you sort of drop back into that regulated state mm-hmm. before you take action mm-hmm. so that there, you know, that little space um, that then allows you to, to move away from that reactive and, and into a really thoughtful response. Hmm, and that's very nice. So I've got one last question for you, and then uh, we can eat some hummus together, which I know <laughs> you're dying to do. <laughs> I am dying to do that. <laughs> it's like lunchtime, come on. Yes, yeah, so my question is this, since you have... A, a mindfulness practice and something that you've been working on for for yourself and this is something that you believe in what do you think it would be like if you didn't have a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice what kind of person mm-hmm. do you'd be mhm um I think I would just be a whole lot more asleep to my impact a whole lot more of the time. Um, I, I, I know that person because I was that person and I was living a perfectly fine life. Um, but now I feel like I'm living a technicolor life. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. Okay. Well, I could talk to you for a really long time about this, but uh, I think that you have shared so much about you and the school. And there is definitely a connection between, to me, this is all about mindful leadership, right? It's about Mm -hmm. the connection that you have. If you didn't have a personal practice, I guarantee you, there's no way that the momentous would have the kind of results it's had in terms of the kids. It it's it permeates through the organization and, and the fact that the teachers also have a personal practice. That's for mm-hmm. me as an outsider observing, looking in. And I think anybody that is in an organization, whether you're in a school setting or in a in a corporate environment, you have to Everybody from the top down and the bottom up has to be involved with what the mission and the vision of the organization is. So I want to thank you for maintaining your own personal practice and not just being satisfied by checking the box of, you know, your first 500 days of like, okay, well, I meditate, (laughs) check, check, but you're Mm -hmm. committed to that deepening because that's how you're growing. And then correspondingly, that's how the school can grow. That's how the the kids Mm -hmm. can grow. There's an environment of growth that's present 
through the holes and through the walls. And it's, it's the fabric of how that thing runs. So kudos mm-hmm. to you, Michelle. Great leadership. Thank you. Really, really, yeah, really outstanding job um, with everything you're doing over there. Thank you. It's such a group effort and I, and a pinnacle experience for me. I could not be more grateful to get to work with such an amazing team. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now let us turn the page and enter into hummus among us. So we have today, did you, do you have your hummus in front of you, Michelle? I do have my hummus in front of me. (laughs) Good deal. deal. So I asked you what hummus you like, and you said you like black bean hummus, which I thought was really cool. I don't eat a lot of black bean hummus, but the black bean hummus I have had, I've really enjoyed. I went ahead and recommended the brand this time. So we we, we uh, collaborated today, I would say. You <laughs> came up with Black Bean Hummus. I came up with Roots, the brand. I've not had this Roots Black Bean Hummus before. Have you? I have, and I Ooh. love it. Ooh, okay. I didn't know that you had had it. Okay. Yeah. So let's open our hummus. And um, I always give a little warning to the viewer, to the listeners, sorry, out there, because if you do not like the sound of people eating, you might want to break away for about 30 seconds while Michelle and I <laughs> take our first bite of our hummus, and then we'll, we'll chat about what we think of this hummus. So fair warning. Let's see. I'm going to get my my stuff going here. I invite you to do the same. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm going to keep crunching. This is so good. Mm, this is good. Isn't that yummy? It's very yummy. I like this brand a lot and I hadn't mm-hmm. had this. Um, it was funny when I, I'm going to eat one bite and then I'll, I'll speak. Hold on. Mm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so tell me, what it is about the black bean hummus that you particularly like? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. No. I keep digging. Get it, here. girl. I <laughs> know. Um, I love it so much. You know, this is super connected to my growing up in Guatemala days because oh. black beans are are a key food, and so I still eat black beans at least twice a week. I love them. And I mm. love lime juice. I love anything with lime juice. And I was just noticing that's like the third ingredient in this. Mm. Mm-hmm. That so, makes so much that's sense. So yummy. Mm-hmm. This is this. And I'm right eating back. it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, well, I was just being accidentally punny because I said this goes back to your roots, and that this is called roots. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it goes back to the root yep yeah the and okay so I'm going to put in another plug because I'm eating them with these beet chips from Trader Joe's which are unbelievable they don't taste like beets at all but they're super cute and red and little bitty circles actually they're called beet they might be called beet crackers okay beet crackers from Trader Joe's combined with the roots black bean hummus 
I'm in heaven. Dang. So is it the Trader Joe's brand or do you just happen to buy them at Trader Joe's? Mm, that's a great question. I don't remember. Mm, okay. I think it might be. I can only find them at Trader Joe's, so maybe they are Trader Joe's brand. Okay. Well, I I do show notes and I will find this and I will put a link. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> yeah, because I really want to try it. Um, I've got like assorted vegetables here with the black bean, but mm-hmm. it's really good. It's really smooth. And it was funny when I bought this, uh, this black bean hummus by Roots, I can only find at Whole Foods. I don't know if you've found it elsewhere, but um, as I bought it, the woman that was checking me out said, oh, have you tried their lima bean hummus by Roots? And I said, oh my gosh, no, I haven't. And I don't know if I would normally gravitate to that. And she goes, I know, it doesn't sound like it would be good, but it's really, really good. So I thought, Mm. okay, noted. That might be the next Mm. uh, hummus to be featured on Hummus Among Us. We'll see. Oh, I love that. I'm taking that tip. I'm going to go try the lima bean hummus next. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Well, awesome. Um, I so appreciate you and, you know, having hummus with you and chatting about meditation and mindfulness and and your incredible journey and just how much you've shared uh, today and what you bring to the community. It's really 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 great and uh, I'm a huge fan of Momentous and I'm a huge fan of you so many thanks to you again Michelle thank you mutual mutual admiration society then and I am so grateful to get to have this conversation with you today oh thank you thank you well till next time Michelle be so well and I will talk to you very soon I hope Same here. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe to the podcast and we will see you back here in a couple of weeks with a new guest and a new take on the meditation experience. Till then, love yourself and love others.